This episode of Nomad Athlete Radio is brought to you by Spartan's Golden Gate Trail Classic Trail Races with distances from 10K to 100K. And with the help of a partnership with No Meat Athlete, the Golden Gate Trail Classic will be a 100% plant-based event with all plant-based foods at aid stations and race festivities. Learn more about the trail races at GoldenGateTrailClassic.com. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. I don't know about where you are, Matt, but around here it's getting a little spooky. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet it is. <laughs> when, I, when I drive Eliza to school, you know, she she calls out all the new uh, Halloween. Oh yeah, that's Halloween cool. decorations. Yep, that's good times. So people people are people are getting crazy now with the decorations. It's like I think I think tacky is in now with uh, with all holiday decorations. Have you noticed that? <laughs> like the big blow ups and the floats mm-hmm. and all that stuff. It's like now it's acceptable. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, you know, Halloween is such a funny thing to decorate for, in my opinion. But it's fun, you know. I like it. <laughs> I like driving around for it. You guys are Halloween decorators, right? Yeah, we do all holiday decorations. My kids sort of just require it. I don't know. At, at yeah. least we do window clings. We don't always do huge stuff, but we do. You know, we do the fake spider webs and yeah. put the skeleton on the porch and all that stuff. Of course. Are they trick or treating this year? Or is they are they too old for that? We no. Um, Holden is kind of too old for it. He mostly cares about the candy now only and i think he'll be a sports player which i definitely did that move when i was around his age where you just kind of uh-huh. put on your put on your uniform and be a sports player <laughs> uh and traffic pillowcase or something uh uh-huh. but ellery so both my kids they were gonna pull one out of the doug hay playbook and be marty mcfly and uh-huh. uh and doc was the plan oh this would have been so good for i know kids it would have been good but then I don't know. Like always, we just sort of didn't do it and put it off, and like now it's too late. So we don't want to go shop around thrift stores and find all that stuff. And he like a good thrift store dog, but and we were going to, but we just didn't do it. But anyway, they're gonna, my daughter's going to be. Uh, she's going to be Ratatouille, the rat oh. as a chef. Yeah. Which because I figured that way, if people don't get the joke when we go trick or treating, they'll just she'll just say I'm Ratatouille. And even if they didn't see the movie, they may get the food joke. They may say, oh, it's a rat, it's a chef, it's ratatouille. That's, that's <laughs> I mean, I think everybody knows who ratatouille is, right? I don't really know. That that was a kind of, I think that was a low flyer as far as films mm. go. I'm not okay. sure. I don't think people know they know what ratatouille is, the food. I mean, I think it's pretty off the radar. Eggplant also not in favor recently, it seems like. <laughs> so well, that's, that's, I think it's, she's more likely to be recognized than, uh, than my eldest daughter, who is going as Bubblegum Girl, which is a superhero that she has made up uh, and been playing for the last, I don't know, eight nice. months, nine months or something around the house. But she, everyone's like, what are you going to be? And she's like, Bubblegum Girl. And gets all excited about it. And they're like, okay. <laughs> What's does she, that? Does she know what Bubblegum is? Like, does she, is she a Bubblegum chewer? No, she's never chewed Bubblegum in her life. I, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I can't quite tell if she thinks they're like, like just like bubbles, you know, that you'd blow or if, or if it has anything to do with with uh with bubble actual bubble gum but you know her superpower is that she like traps bad guys and bubbles and stuff oh so okay there is there is a bubble element to it but i can't tell if it's coming from her mouth or if it's just like you know or i i know it's not coming from, it's coming from her hands she goes bubble and she like ah i don't know okay. but anyway so she, we've uh we've been piecing together different superhero elements different uh-huh. masks and capes and stuff like that to create this uh purple and pink bubble gum girl Nice. I like it. It's a fun original costume. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Good for her. So I feel like we have to have the ask the obligatory question of what you do with uh, your kid when they get a bunch of non-vegan candy. <laughs> yeah, I know. This has always been surprisingly easy for us. I don't, we just, like, we go through it that Halloween night. I mean, the kids go through it. They know, they know what's what. And then they ask us if they don't know. Uh, they just sort it out. It always seems like it's like a third of it or a quarter of it that is vegan. The rest they just give to their other friends. And then... I don't know how. Somehow they eat they eat as much as they want Halloween night, and then they almost forget that they have the candy the rest of the day. Like, they just eat, like, one or two pieces the next couple of days, and then the bag just sits there, and then we just throw it out. I don't know <laughs> how. I, somehow they don't... I don't know. But, yeah, it's, it's actually not that hard. It, like, everyone feels bad for them. I do. I feel a little bit bad for them that, like, you know, that ch- when they knock on a door, chances are they will not get a candy they can have. Uh, <laughs> so, but it's like they it's don't like care. A, like a, 80 20 chance that you will not get a candy. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, but they don't care. And I'm always like, if you guys want to eat it, you can. I think that's the important part. And I always say that people get mad, maybe, but I'm like, if you just want to have that, you can have it. And almost mm-hmm. never do they have it. Every now and then they'll taste something and I'm like, all right, it's fine. And then they, 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 they scratch the itch and then they go back to the vegan stuff. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens this year. Last year, Eliza was young enough to where, you know, we let her have a couple pieces of candy, you know, that, of vegan candy that, uh, that, she could have that night and then when we got home we just cleared out everything else and you know the next morning she had a couple more or the next day she had a couple more and then that was it right right so it'll be interesting this year i think she's gonna be way more into it and well this is the dentist candy buyback right where they'll go pay money for candy really no i don't know about that they paid by the pound i think some wow impressive some amount might might be the motivator you you buy some bubble gum yeah yeah. for vegan gum (laughs) bubble gum girl that's right yeah (laughs) All right. Well, Doug, you have a race coming up this weekend, right? I do. And there's, a, there's a costume uh, costume contest going along with that one, too. Oh. You but I don't think I would that? do it. I ran a, I ran a, I have a giant Olaf costume that I ran a beer mile in a couple of years ago. But I don't think I could do that for 50K because the, the rule states that you have to wear the, the costume the entire race. That would be Ooh. that would be miserable, I think. Yeah. Yep. That would be miserable. But it is. Unless... My, first, my first race back in, in well over... Two years, mm-hmm. and uh, is that right? That can be right. February two thousand nineteen, two thousand twenty, twenty twenty. So a year and a half. Yeah, year and a half. Okay. Um, this is the Lake James one. Nebo? Lake James fifty k, or it's Fontaflora fifty k down mm-hmm. on Lake James. Okay. Uh, yeah, very excited about it. Very very excited about it. Good PR potential. Potentially, yeah, it'll be the fastest fifty k or the flattest fifty k that uh, that I've ever run. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, I'm probably, or I know I'm not in the fastest shape I've ever been. So we'll see how that happens. We'll see what happens. Yep. Sounds like a recipe for disaster. Yeah. If you're not in shape and you're talking PR. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. I know. It does. Yep. Well, I hope it goes well. I hope the weather's well. Good. I thought we were supposed to have rain this weekend. Is that, that still the case for your race? Uh, yeah. You know, they're like talking about overcast and like 30 to 40% chance. So not too bad. That's, not, no, that's not too bad. Good. Sounds like perfect conditions for a PR, if you ask me, Doug. I know. Honestly, it does. Overcast <laughs> and cool. Yep. I'm right. going for it. I'm just going to we'll look go forward to hearing it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have an interview today. Yeah. Uh, her name is Jackie Pieri. She's a uh, professional women's hockey player, which is awesome. We don't get too many actual professional athletes on our, on our little podcast, so uh, right. that's always neat, for sure. And, uh, yeah. yeah Matt, Matt Tolman's going to be a... Uh, Conducting the interview. Yes. Yes. And so we'll be handing it off to him shortly. Yeah. Should we talk hockey first for a little while? 
Oh yeah. Talk some puck. Do you have anything hockey to say? <laughs> anything hockey to, to say? Contribute? No. I I I played a lot of roller hockey back in my day, but uh, very little ice hockey. But I always like hockey. Seems like a good sport. <laughs> you know, have you ever been to a, an NHL game? I have, and I I've thoroughly enjoyed going to NHL games. Have I know you? they're super fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I, hockey is not a sport that I follow in particular. Similar to soccer, but if I have a chance to go to a game, then I'm there, and I am gonna yes. have a really good time. Yep, hockey. Yeah, it is. It is a fun sport to watch. Much better in person than on TV, I think, uh, mm. mainly because of the following the puck issue. But uh, but yeah, NHL games they just bring they bring a, a lot of intensity into those little stadiums, which I'm always amazed by. Yeah. But but it's even the um the I don't know the names AHL IHL whatever the the next tiers down are. Uh, those are always fun too. It's just I don't know these big hits on the walls. It's always always <laughs> fun to be at. Yep. Yep. So that's our that's our hockey analysis. Conclusions are it's a good sport. It's fun to go to. <laughs> yep. That's. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we should probably get to the interview. All right. Sounds good. Jackie Pieri, uh, professional hockey player, um, not the first female hockey player that I've met. My cousin was uh, actually a big female hockey player and uh, to this day uh, scares me a little bit So, um, <laughs> for other reasons though. And uh, But thank you so much for taking the time and I'm so excited to dive into a number of topics uh, about your athletic career, about your diet. Um, and uh, but first and foremost, I should say to those listening or watching, um, Jackie was gracious enough to accommodate my schedule and stay up at uh, 10 o'clock at night because uh, she is in Italy, um, which actually is a kind of tough place to be vegan, uh, I think, is my sense. But we'll get to that. Um, I think we should start at the uh, uh, beginning, um, Jackie, and, and, and maybe just yeah, whatever the beginning means to you, you know, we can go as far back in the career, but, but how did you start uh, playing hockey? Maybe we'll, we'll serve you a softball to get warmed up. Yeah, sure. Um, so hockey isn't very big in New Jersey where I grew up. Uh, and my brother actually went on a field trip to go skating. Uh, and then just, we kind of both fell in love with it from there. I have an older brother who's two years older than me. I basically copy everything that he does. <laughs> uh, so that was kind of the first thing that I jumped, uh, jumped after him about. That's awesome. Yeah. I have, uh, two little boys and I can already tell that the littlest who's, you know, about 18 months behind, uh, is going to be extremely tough and extremely good at so many sports, right? Because, you know, he's, he's already taking after whatever his older brother wants to do. And his older brother beats the shit out of him. Just I mean, every time I turn around, he's getting hit, pushed down, right? Like hip checked. And he's already so tough. It's amazing. So that, that would explain how, how you arrived here. Yeah, it was exactly um, the same. We were like two brothers. My brother used to beat the crap out of me too, but I give it back. Yeah. I, so does he, the little one. <laughs> and, and more and more now that he's getting bigger. Um, and, uh, are you the, uh, only two, two kids, two of two? Yeah, only two kids. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and did your brother go on to, to become a professional athlete? No, my brother's actually in the military. So he's a, ah. a officer in the army right now. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, I hope you'll thank him for, for his service from all of us. Um, so, uh, you moved to Calgary, if I'm not mistaken, is that where the story picks up? Oh, so, well, I grew up playing boys hockey in Jersey. I started being a uh, vegetarian when I was about 10 years old. Um, 
basically that came about, my dad had a heart attack, um, a pretty severe one. And the doctor recommended that he take on a vegetarian diet. Um, and about the same time we got a dog. Um, and that was kind of the first realization that, you know, we we're eating living things. It's a bit silly, but like growing up in New Jersey, uh, you know, we basically went on field trips to like the bagel shop and the grocery store. We didn't really have good connection with where our food was coming from. So uh, once I made that realization, I completely stopped eating meat. Um, but I definitely was really unhealthy with my diet. Um, I was eating, you know, sugary cereals, pasta every day, uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, stuff like that. Um, didn't know much about nutrition. It was mostly a moral decision. And uh, there were obviously some like pretty strong pushback uh, mentality in hockey. It's a pretty tough sport. And uh, being the only girl, it was already like a hurdle to prove that I was tough enough or strong enough. Um, so I did get a lot of questions about my protein and, um, you know, whether I was going to be able to keep up with everybody. But uh, after that, I went to um, Brown University. I played Division One. Um, that's when I switched to girls hockey at 18. And then after that, uh, after my college career, I moved on to Calgary where I played professionally for the first time. I played there for five seasons. Uh, we won a, we won a championship. That was pretty exciting in 2016. We won a championship. Um, and then, uh, after five years in Calgary, I moved on to Barcelona to do my master's degree. My undergraduate at Brown was in, uh, energy engineering, sustainable energy. So lots of crossover with the, the vegan diet and the plant-based diet. Um, and then my master's in Barcelona uh, and in Stockholm after that, I got two master's, uh, both were in sort of energy systems and sustainability. So um, lots of focus in, in the environmental space. <laughs> so, uh, so you were a bad student, I assume, based on, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, between Brown and getting uh, two, two advanced degrees, that's uh, intimidating for sure. Um, all right, everybody, Matt and Doug are jumping back in to pause for a second to thank our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by the Golden Gate Trail Classic Trail Races in San Francisco, which this year is going 100% plant-based. The Golden Gate Trail Classic will be held in just a few short weeks on November 20th and 21st and is part of the Spartan Trail World Championship, a big weekend-long trail and ultramarathon event with races for everyone. 10K, half marathon, 50K, 100K options. You're running the half marathon, I believe, Matt. That's right. I will be there. My first uh, first half marathon distance race since, I think, since my 100-miler. Pretty sure. That, that is impressive. That's exciting. It's been and, a long time. Uh, it, it's a pretty, it's a, I mean, it's an incredible race. Right? You start in San Francisco. You'll travel across the Golden Gate Bridge at sunrise and venture into the fabled Marin Headlands, which offer incredible views of both the mountains and the sea. And Matt... No, who better to play host than <laughs> ultramarathon man himself, Dean Carnassus, right? Yes, and I will be playing the second-tier co-host, but Dean Carnassus will be the first billing top host. Yeah, I'm actually, not, I'm actually not playing host. Don't don't expect me to do any hosting. But I will. Be <laughs> I was gonna say, oh wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> but no, you'll be you'll be hosting anybody who's a fan of Nomad Athlete. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With open arms. <laughs> But here's the big part. We're helping them go 100% plant-based with this race. Aid stations, post-race food vendors, it'll all be plant-based with No Meat Athlete leading the charge in the decisions around what foods to feature. We'll even provide our new real food performance fuel, Plant Bites, for, to help fuel runners across all the distances. 
Yes. I'm excited that you're going. I wish I was going to be there. I had thought I was going to be there, but it's not working out. But I am so excited that you're going. And and we know for sure that listeners of the podcast are going too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I cannot wait to do it. Uh, San Francisco is one of my very favorite cities. So I've only been there a little bit. Uh, but every time I go there, it's awesome for the vegan options and just a cool city, lots to do. So I'm looking forward to that as well as the running. Uh, I don't think I've ever really ever done a West Coast trail race. And it, they're very different from what I gather from just from looking at the mountains uh, in the West Coast. It's just, it's it's not like you're always covered by trees when you're trail running. Yeah. So yeah. I'm looking forward to just different atmosphere. It should be really fun. Awesome. To learn more and to register, because you still can, go to goldengatetrailclassic.com. That is goldengatetrailclassic.com. And Matt hopes to see you there. That's right. All right. With that, let's get back to the interview. Yeah, I guess to, to, to go back, um, there's, a, there's a, uh, some fascinating directions we can take this about uh, boys, hockey, and women's sports. And, um, but maybe before we do, uh, I'd just be curious to learn more about your motivation around diet. Um, you mentioned your dad's heart attack. Uh, I actually went uh, vegetarian in high school as a result. Uh, similar, uh, my dad had a heart attack when he was 48. Um, and uh, then I had an uncle with cancer and just the whole confluence. We started watching documentaries and and uh, I stopped eating meat at that point. So um, was that the main motivation for you? Or you mentioned that you also got a dog and you had this connection with living things. So or because I can only imagine you said you were 10. Yeah, 10 I was very young. So I was 10. Yeah, 10 or 11. For me, so, definitely the the primary motivating factor was, you know, uh, care for the animals. Um, there was the athletic performance thing. But at that time, uh, in the early 2000s, people weren't talking about vegetarian or veganism as being good for performance. I was really only hearing that it was negative. So it was in my head more of a compromise, like I'm not willing to eat meat, even if it means I'm going to be a worse hockey player. Thankfully, that's not played out to be true with, you know, nutrition science more recently, but, um, it was definitely more about the animals. And like you said, there were so many documentaries that came out around that time, uh, a little bit later, um, where I really started to understand the industrial farm system in America and how far we've come from traditional, uh, animal raising. Um, and I'm still learning a lot every day, like, uh, you know, the shift towards veganism that I'm, I've been making recently is, is me continuing to learn about, you know, mistreatment of, of, uh, other animal products, even when they're not uh, sticking a, a slab of flesh on your plate. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And, and how has that evolved now? You just kind of spoke to it, but um, I'm, I'm curious. It seems like every uh, quote unquote vegan that I talk to, they, they start off either with health, animals, or environmental motivations. And then within a few years, it's just kind of blended, you know, like no one can really, uh, certainly I can, I can speak for myself. It's hard to, to really make a distinction between the, the health motivations, eating this way to be, um, you know, to, to, to live as long as I can and, and have a good quality of life for my, my wife and kids. Um, but at the same time, like, it's really hard to disconnect that from like making sure that they have an environment, an earth to grow and flourish on, you know, for, for the hundred years that I hope they'll live. Right. And at the same time, all the animal um, rescue work that, that I've been exposed to and, and otherwise the, uh, the horrors of industrial uh, agriculture. So, so for you, how has that evolved? And, and like you mentioned, your environmental, um, your education and energy systems being so much about 
sustainability. What, what are your motivations like today? Um, I would say, all, like you said, all three have kind of converged. For me, definitely the first motivating factor was care for the animals. But um, it wasn't really until my master's or sometime when I, just before my master's when I started to really understand the environmental uh, side of our diets. Um, you know, there's a couple interesting things about, you know, um, not, not eating meat is like not driving your car for the whole year. Some really interesting, um, you know, equivalents that I had never really heard before that were really, um, exciting. Cause I think especially, you know, the environmental crisis is such an overwhelming, uh, you know, um, an overwhelming thing that it can feel totally like, what can I do as a, as a, in, as an individual. Um, and so I think it's really motivating that there is this, this thing, our diet that we can take on in our personal choices. Um, so I find that really inspirational. It's definitely motivating for me. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm taking off a list based on your, your quick bio that, uh, I just have to ask about, um, you played on a boys team until you were 18 um and uh, hockey is a physical sport i played it in high school um uh what's it's interesting to think about it's probably one of few sports where where we uh, actually allow girls to play on boys team and i and i wonder do you think that actually helped you i mean clearly like you know um it was your only option sounds like um, but, but it makes me almost wonder if we should be training, you know, our, our girls and boys at the same time and who knows well, where, where we would end up. Yeah. Um, I get this question a lot from younger players, especially from their parents about when is a good time to switch from, um, playing co-ed to switching to girls. Um, I definitely wouldn't say I was like allowed. There was a lot of pushback about me being able to be on a boys team, um, especially when I got to high school. Um, I had a lot of, well, in particular, my first high school coach really didn't believe that I could be there and that I should be there, um, particularly on the size aspect. I'm about 5'4 now, but I was even smaller in high school. I only weighed about 120 pounds. And um, he seemed to care a lot more about that than my performance on the ice. Um, but I, th I think it was a really formative experience for me. I, I think, um, you know, I grew up admiring the devils, watching Scott Stevens. I wanted to be a big hitter. I really enjoyed the hitting in hockey. Um, I really, you know, my closest friends were guys because they were, you know, the hockey guys I had been playing with since I was, you know, 10 or 11. Um, so for me, it was definitely the right choice to continue playing boys hockey. The, the other opportunities were really to like go away to new England to a prep school, um, which I think would also have been a good route. But for me, um, I really enjoyed the challenge of proving myself. Um, and I was actually reflecting on this before coming onto the podcast. I think there's some really interesting parallels with being, uh, being the only girl and uh, being vegetarian or vegan. There's this like perspective that you have the weight of, um, for, for being a female in hockey, for, you have like the weight of uh, a girl's potential in boys hockey. If you do poorly on a play, uh, it's because you're a girl. If you do well on a play, wow, girls can achieve something. Uh, and it's kind of the same thing with having a different diet. It's, you know, people presume because of all the stereotypes that you're not gonna be strong enough. And then when you do perform well, they think, oh, like they, they, they kind of shift their perspective. So it's kind of a lot of weight on your shoulder uh, for doing something different that really stands out. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. And, and you probably experienced some amount of that uh, 
tension different maybe um, as an engineer, right? Uh, women are underrepresented in the STEM field. I think we're making inroads on that as a society, but I have to imagine you, you were, you know, one of few uh, women, you know, pursuing advanced degrees in, in energy systems, right? Yeah, definitely. Actually, it's pretty interesting. My first year at Brown, uh, our engineering class was about half and half. Uh, and by the time I graduated in my specialty, which was kind of, um, you know, energy systems, it's a lot of like engines and, uh, you know, pumping systems, industrial systems, things like that. Uh, I think I was one of two, if not the only girl in that uh, specific track uh, by the end of it. Um, I'm not sure why that still is. I didn't feel particularly discouraged at any point. But I was also going to a very liberal school that was actively encouraging uh, women and other minorities to, to take on fields that they're not traditionally represented in. Um, and then I started working in Canada, which has a very different, uh, a little bit more progressive kind of gender dynamic than I think uh, maybe we, we still have in America. So I had a kind of different exposure to that as well, starting my career in, a, in another country. Hmm. Yeah, I imagine I know a little bit more. Uh, you said you're in Stockholm. Was that the next place? I, I went to Barcelona for a year in between as well. Gotcha. So you have uh, four very interesting, uh, you know, places to juxtapose, you know, the, the cultures, um, you know, with the Scandinavians versus the uh, uh, Hispanics versus the Canadians in the U.S. Um, yeah, that must have been fascinating to see. Very different food cultures also. Yeah, well, that's a great that's a, a great segue, actually. So you're in Italy. Um, I I heard a fascinating statistic. I don't know if it's true that uh, um, in Italy uh, the government pays a stipend to people with celiac celiac disease um, because it's so hard to maintain a gluten free lifestyle that you know you have to <laughs> to pay a lot more for these you know crazy. Um, uh, products or, or products that probably seem a little crazy to to the Italian culture. It's so pasta centric. Um, yeah. How, how has your experience been over there? Obviously, you have some heritage, it's family dynamics. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about how how travel has been on a uh, you know vegetarian vegan diet. Yeah. So I actually just finished uh, ten days in Sardinia, and that was my first time traveling uh, without any dairy products. Um, and it was pretty interesting. Like people really look at you like you're crazy for not wanting cheese on your pasta. Um, <laughs> I did eat the exact same meal for like 10 days in a row, which was pasta with tomato sauce and grilled zucchini and grilled eggplant. <laughs> um, but uh, it wasn't as challenging as I thought it was going to be. I, I thought it, I wasn't going to be able to eat. Um, and so that was a nice surprise. Um, in Stockholm, it was incredibly easy to be like to be vegan. Every product is extremely well labeled. Every restaurant has several vegan options, even, you know, drunk late night fast food, you can get a vegan option no matter where you're going. Um, I think that's primarily because of the environmental perspective uh, from Greta Thunberg in Sweden. Um, on the other hand, in, uh, in Barcelona, you know, ham on is the main thing, right? I'm sure I'm not even saying it right, but like the big pig's leg is in every storefront window. Um, and really like all I was able to eat there was um, like with, with substance when I would go out to eat was uh, outside of vegan restaurants was like uh, and basically a potato omelet on a baguette that they called the tortilla, like a tortilla sandwich basically. Um, 
So I'm not sure what I would have done there had I been vegan. I would have had to just been more prepared with my food, I guess, uh, and brought things out. Yeah, I, I think Spain and Italy, maybe France, are uh, some tough food cultures to to simulate into. But as you say, it can all be done. And um, I always rely on the fact that uh, you know sugar and alcohol are, are vegan. So you know how how bad could it be, right? Um, yeah, exactly. You can always have bread too, which is nice. Um, yeah, so I, think I would have so a lot gave, more trouble being celiac. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the funny thing is I I gave up drinking and I also um, uh, don't eat gluten because my wife has a uh, intolerance. So so I say these jokes to try to get non-vegans to to feel like oh yeah, sugar and alcohol, I'll I'll, I'll hop over. Um, but actually, in in real life, it it is a little tougher. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so what about your, uh, your family in Italy, right? Um, yeah. so how is the family dynamic dealing with this transition? I mean, are, are you being shunned? Have they fed you or is it, are there, is it tension? Are they supportive? No, it's, it's actually been a really, uh, really cool, um, evolution in my family. So, uh, I'm first generation American. My dad was born in Italy, uh, and my mom, um, is Israeli. Um, so kind of both sides of my family were like, you're vegetarian. I don't know what to do with that. Uh, I don't know what to feed you kind of thing. Um, especially my Italian grandma, she was like really worried that I was going to just like shrivel up and die. She really didn't understand. Um, and then while I was in Calgary or while I was in Barcelona, sometime in the last uh, 10 years, all of my Italian family in New Jersey went completely vegan. Um, like, uh, completely. And my, my two aunts, as you would expect from Italians are like amazing cooks. Um, so she, she does everything from scratch. Like when I'm with her, it's like, you don't miss a single thing. And my aunt today, I came back from uh, this travels and she made a homemade vegan ricotta, like fancy cheese. You know, she just, she made vegan quiche. She just found a way to like, look up the recipes and they come out just as good as the originals. I don't miss anything when I'm here at home that at is- least. <laughs> That's amazing. The vegan ricotta, right? Vegan ricotta. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was I, uh, soy, soy and vinegar based. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, I know I just, uh, not, not as cool as homemade vegan ricotta, but I recently went to the, uh, uh, supermarket and they had a Colby Jack cheddar or something like cheese. Right. I'm just like, I, I, there, you know, there's a couple still missing, you know, like, uh, was it Brie? Right. But like almost yeah. every cheese has been replicated. And now at this point, like in the U.S., at least commercialized where you can go. And yeah. um, but that's amazing. What uh, happened in New Jersey that uh, your relatives all made the, the transition? That doesn't usually happen. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know their exact like impetus for switching. Um, I do know that like our family. So. You know, I mentioned my dad's first heart attack. Um, my dad actually had a second fatal heart attack around the time that I was finishing college. Uh, and that was actually the, the third really close death in our family. Um, first, we lost my, uh, my cousin at 22. Uh, she just had a heart defect and passed away in her sleep. Um, so I think that kind of brought at least the family like really, really close together. We we're already really close, but um, to a different extent. And then I think when one of my cousins decided to go, uh, vegetarian and then vegan, all four of them were immediately on board. Um, and it was really, really cool to see my one cousin, Greg, he's a personal trainer. 
Uh, and he went from being, you know, uh, quite small and quite skinny when I first left to go to Canada. Uh, and when I came back, he was lifting more than me, super strong, um, basically like, you know, an amateur bodybuilder, um, just so precise in how he was managing his nutrition, completely vegan, um, much more, uh, disciplined than me. He, he's like, you know, at the level where he's like weighing out his food, or at least he was for a certain extent. Um, so it's been really impressive to watch him transform his athleticism while being vegan. Um, yeah, it's a really big transition, really big evolution while I've been gone. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm jealous. We are, we are definitely the outliers at our family gathering still. So, um, yeah, but I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that, that, uh, sounds like you might've gotten there in part because of uh, a lot of loss, which so many of us, unfortunately, you don't uh, appreciate the, uh, um, just how delicate life really is until, you know, you have some of those losses and, and feel that pain, realize that, you know, Hey, maybe, maybe it is worth changing your behaviors, you know, doing, doing some new things that may be painful at first in order to, uh, uh, yeah, try to minimize that that pain others will feel just as much as you can. Um, so uh, <clears throat> hard hard to to elegantly segue uh, away from that, but um, tell me uh, back back to your athletic career. Um, I know you've had some sort of uh, uh, touch and go moment where maybe you'd stop playing hockey, um, but inevitably you've decided to to come back to the sport. Um, tell, tell me a little bit about uh, the thinking around there and why you ultimately decided to, to continue. Well, that's a heavy hitting question. Okay. Um, so I originally, when I was, uh, when I was a kid, my goal was just to play division one hockey. There was no professional outlet to look forward to. And I didn't really have a plan after college. Um, and then uh, a girl from the year ahead of me at Brown was continuing to play um, out in Calgary. And I decided to follow her out here to keep out there to keep playing. Um, the, the five years in Calgary still felt like I was like in my prime of athleticism. And I say that lightly because I still feel really like I feel better than I did at that time, but in my head, you know, um, at, at 22, 23, I was like, yeah, I should keep playing. Like I definitely should keep playing. Um, but it was quite challenging to balance being a, um, a semi-pro hockey player and working full-time, the um, economic opportunities in women's hockey are just not there except for the very, very elite. Um, so I was working, you know, full-time 40 hours, 40 plus hours a week, practicing in the evenings, working out in the evenings. Uh, and then we were playing three game, three game weekends my first year. So it was, uh, you know, work all week, leave work, play a game Friday night, play a game Saturday, play a game Sunday, go to work the next day. Sometimes that included flying to Montreal or to Boston to play those three games. Um, so it was really exhausting uh, what the, the balancing act uh, while I was out in Calgary. And it did kind of uh, reduce a little bit by my fifth year. We were playing two game weekends, which really made a big difference. Um, but it was still, you know, really pushing it in terms of my, um, you know, energy levels and things like that. Um, so I decided that it was, you know, time to um, time to stop playing. Also, that transition was environmentally driven. I was working full-time as a natural gas pipeline engineer while I was in Calgary. Um, and, you know, I had studied environmental and been really interested in environmental uh, through college. 
Uh, and it was kind of a compromise that I made. It was a really amazing uh, job opportunity with a great team of people, uh, but it was a compromise to continue playing hockey, to take an oil and gas job. Um, and I wasn't really feeling so great about that. And I was feeling like it was time to sort of transition, which is what, uh, you know, pushed me to go back for my master's degree in sustainability. Um, so I thought I was done with hockey. Then when I was in Barcelona, I got sucked into playing like semi-pro roller hockey, which is another story that I don't, <laughs> I don't even, it was kind of accidental, but I played roller hockey a lot in Barcelona. Uh, and then my second year of my master's program, my dual master's program was in Stockholm. And there, that's like the second best league in the world. Um, so I couldn't resist the temptation to get back on the ice. And you played in Stockholm then too. Yeah, I played two seasons in Stockholm. That's amazing. Um, roller hockey probably messed with your game a little bit, right? Because starting and stopping and all that stuff is is very different on uh, rollerblades than it is on, at least I, I, you know, for me, every winter ended and then I'd like start playing on rollerblades and like just end up hurting myself because it's just, it's totally different. Completely different. And you kind of forget when you're like playing competitively. I've never played roller hockey competitively before, uh, but there were a couple of times when I was just like, you know, going, going full out, like, like I was on the ice and just totally forgot I was on roller skates, completely ate shit, you know, hit, hit the wall. Like it was pretty funny. Yeah. And, uh, that's, uh, well, we could go on and on there, but, um, uh, out of respect for the audience this time, we won't go into the, you know, differences of roller hockey and ice hockey too, too deep. Um, there's a saying of, uh, if you want to get something done, give it to a busy person. Um, you know, because busy people get shit done, right? Um, and it sounds like you're a busy person. Uh, you can't even stop yourself from joining a roller hockey team uh, when you go to Barcelona. What um, What are your secrets or how do you approach it? Or is it just mayhem all the time uh, in terms of balancing, you know, what is jobs, education, and then, you know, uh, a professional uh, career as an athlete, which not only requires games and whatnot, but also, like you said, you know, you got to train, you got to think about your nutrition, right? Like everything in your life has to be that much more dialed in, in order to perform, you know, on an ice rink or a roller hockey rink. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I love that, that. I love that quote. And I love that perspective. Um, I do thrive being busy. And actually, the last three years have been a complete uh, lesson in reshifting how I approach things. Um, so it sounds like I was still really busy in Barcelona, but compared to what I was doing in Calgary, it felt like a major slowdown and it also felt a lot less structured and I had to really find a way and I'm still kind of learning how to create that structure for myself. Um, this past year during COVID, uh, I'm for everybody, I'm sure it's, you know, you're trying to create that structure, but this was, this past season was the first season that I was really a full-time hockey player. I had finished my thesis and I was just continuing to play and uh, yeah, I don't know how to sit still. So I took several online courses. I got my yoga teacher's instructor license. Uh, I started learning Italian. Um, yeah. I don't know how to sit still. I don't know. I don't, I don't do well with, uh, with quiet time. Yeah. That's something I can, I can certainly uh, commiserate with um so what's the future look like i mean obviously you're you're in italy now you're playing hockey you've got your degrees what what, what can we expect uh in the future from from jackie 
Um, I can't answer that concretely. I'm, I'm in the job hunt right now. I'm trying to figure out what, what, uh, what pivot I want to make, what, um, what I want to do with my engineering degrees, uh, basically. Um, but the reason that I, I guess we started with like, you know, what's your drive to keep playing? Um, Italy, uh, I don't know what it's called. Um, they were awarded the 2026 Olympics to host. Um, and that means that they get to send a, a hockey team, even though they wouldn't necessarily qualify for other Olympics. So my personal goal, and I have a lot of, um, steps before I'm there is to, uh, you know, make the Italian Olympic team and play in the 2026 Olympics. Hopefully a lot of things have to go right. I have to stay not injured for sure. Um, and like some bureaucratic things. Um, but that's, that's my five-year plan. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, uh, it sounds like you might have, um, plan to an Israeli uh, citizenship. So if there's ever like one of those Jamaican bobsled team scenarios where right. Israel develops a hockey team, like you could be in there, right? <laughs> when Italy has a women's hockey team, I'll be really excited for them. <laughs> so we're starting with Italy, got it. Um, cool. And, uh, and, and, um, and how long are you in Italy for? permanently learn the language and going through so you've you've relocated i think that's super I'm exciting so. yeah i've been living the uh the last six months out of my suitcase just kind of visiting people in this in-between time um so i'm ready to get an apartment i move next week um ready to get set up with my own space and it's very hard to train when you're traveling uh though i have been the last six months I'm kind of stuck to what other people are feeding you and body weight workouts. Um, so that's kind of been the hurdle of this, this off season. Gotcha. Um, so I have, I have one other question uh, and we'll see where it, it takes us. Um, but if I, if my research uh, serves me correctly, um, there was no funding, which you kind of alluded to for your team. I think maybe it was in Calgary. Um, and you guys had to actually do the fundraising as well as the job, as well as the training and the games and everything else, just to, you know, be able to, to compete as a team and, and do everything else. Um, that I think we, we take for granted for, um, yeah, maybe you can comment on, on what that was like. And, uh, um, I just think again, you know, especially in the U S we kind of take for granted that like, you know, people can go and if they earned the, uh, the, the, the right, the ability to go and, and play professionally that it, it, you know, everything's so easy, but certainly I can say for, for, um, you know, in tennis, you know, if you're kind of bottom, you know, probably 60 or 70 and then the 2000 that come after, like, I mean, they're, they're barely surviving, let alone making any money, but they're just doing it for the love of the game. So, um, yeah, I have to imagine that, that probably is more so the case with, uh, women's sports, unfortunately, and we'd just love to hear your experience about it. Yeah. Um, so we were doing the fundraising when I was out in Calgary and we we're also doing marketing. Uh, when I first got up there, I remember I was like building, uh, like schedule handouts and flyers and, uh, trying to figure out how to promote our games and things like that. Um, that actually progressed a lot in my five years there, which was really, really cool to see. Uh, we ended up partnering with the the youth teams in Calgary uh, and set up a, our team was called the Calgary Inferno. Uh, and we kind of founded a junior Inferno program where they rebranded all of the youth girls hockey to have the same logo as us. Um, and I think that really helped with awareness. 
Um, and also the NHL team out in Calgary got on board um, around the time that we won the cup. They started really to see kind of the benefit in promoting us as their sister program. Um, and that really, really helped. Um, but I think in general, individual women's sports uh, have fared better in terms of fighting for equality, like tennis has done an amazing job. It seems like golf is doing really well with uh, promoting female athletes uh, right now. I would say women's hockey, women's basketball, women's soccer are kind of all in like a, a similar, like making a lot of progress, but not where we want to be yet. Um, so there are, there are women in women's hockey who are able to make a great living uh, out of hockey. They're the elite top group. Um, and um, the teams haven't quite gotten there. So even in Sweden, where there's been, you know, a ton of equality for quite a bit longer than the rest of the world uh, on the gender uh, front, um, there are, you know, a few elite players who get paid well to play and the rest kind of, uh, support themselves and work full-time jobs on the side. And of course that does reduce, you know, the quality of performance. Uh, I definitely saw it when I was out in Calgary, it's so hard to not burn out when you're working full-time, uh, and then playing and trying to cook and trying to, you know, rehab your injuries and you can't sleep because you're on a plane. Um, so it was cool to see, you know, what it would be like. Uh, last season as a full-time hockey player. Um, I got to sleep when I was tired. I got to cook meals that were actually good for, for my endurance and for my recovery. And um, I had time to do yoga, uh, which really, really helped. Uh, I had time to lift without, you know, skipping warm up and cool down, which makes such a big difference. Uh, it was a lot of, a lot of cool things last year to have that experience. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Uh, to, to hear you have the opportunity to, it obviously indicates a great progress with, um, you know, what I think is still probably a, an up and coming sport. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> um, in terms of mainstream acceptance, maybe that, that's a better way to say it. Um, if there's uh, one, uh, one message for people to take away, although there's a, a number of nuggets here um, that I'm sure will inspire folks, what, what would that be? Or to use Tim Ferriss's question, um, if you could put a, a statement on a billboard for millions of people to see, what, what, what would that say? Yeah. Um, hmm. I think uh, there's a lot of value in the messaging around, you know, everyone is doing the best they can with where they're at right now and to approach things with compassion. Um, not really related to anything we've been talking about, but just my personal philosophy on approaching life. I think it's really um, could make the world a lot kinder. And I think, um, you know, this is my first speaking engagement representing eco athletes, which is really exciting. Um, and I think the climate crisis is a lot about um, individual greed and not really care and not, you know, feeling motivated enough to change for your fellow human being. Um, veganism is not, you know, maybe other people not caring enough that they're suffering in the animal world because of our uh, consumption choices. So I think it's, it's roughly, roughly uh, attached to <laughs> why I'm here, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that message will, will resonate deeply with uh, our community. Um, most of the folks who are listening are probably already on their way to a vegetarian or, or a vegan diet and, and uh, like you, and like we talked about, uh, connect with one of those environmental 
you know, uh, sustainability angles, the, the animal compassion or, or just uh, so that self-love. So spreading kindness and uh, compassion is, is definitely something that we can get on board with. <laughs> um, Jackie, I really appreciate the time. I, I wanted to make sure to be respectful of your schedule because I know we're approaching midnight in, uh, in Italy. So thank you so much for, for sharing your journey with me and, and with our community. Um, is there anything, uh, a last uh, minute statement or, or anything to leave our audience with? Or where can they find more about you if they want to follow your journey to the 2026 Olympic Games? Um, I guess I would say, first of all, I would love it if the listeners checked out uh, the Eco Athletes. I think the Instagram handle is Eco Athletes Stream. Uh, and I think it's the same on Twitter. Um, so um, I don't know if we touched on it, but it's just a, it's a community of athletes that are using their platform to talk about uh, environment, the envi environmental crisis. Um, but my personal Instagram is at jpieri. Um, and you can find, you can follow my journey there, but <laughs> I don't know how exciting that will be compared to the Eco Athletes stream. So maybe visit there first. Yeah, and we'll, we'll introduce Eco Athletes a little bit more. Um, people will have already heard me and, and uh, our co-host Doug talk a little bit about them more broadly. We wanted to focus on you, obviously, but um, thanks for the call out and, and we will uh, we will follow and uh, be rooting you on and, and excited to see how the next few years go and hopefully be visiting you in Italy because it sounds like your family with that vegan ricotta has really figured out something special. So don't be surprised when you get an email from me in a few days. You're welcome. You're welcome to visit. The more the merrier. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you again for spending the time with us, Jackie, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing what you do next. Great. Th thanks for having me on, Matt. Yep, you too. Have a good night. <laughs>